Revelation chapter 5, this is the word of the Lord. And then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And then I looked, and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. We are in Revelation chapter 5, as Brett read. Usually we're preaching through the book of Matthew. And today, a little bit different because of the uh, mission trip emphasis that we're, of the mission trip we just took in March. And so we're going to be looking at Revelation 5 and talking about missions. And then next week we'll be back in Revelation chapter 5, but uh, today we're going to be in Revelation 5. Um, <clears throat> I want to pray, but before we pray, just one small thing, and then we're going to go into our time of prayer. Um, being today uh, as an emphasis on international missions, we have someone that's been coming with us for a while, that's been attending our church for a little while. His name's Steve Shepard. He's uh, with Church Playing International, and he has kind of given his life to international missions down in Peru, and he and his son Matthew are down there for a good strong month um, uh, doing missions. And so before we go into our time of, of uh, looking at the Word, I want to pray for Steve and Matthew as well as our time in the Word. So I'm going to pray, and if you would, um, don't just close your eyes and kind of listen to me, but if you would, also pray with me. You know, you don't have to do it out loud. If you do, I'll get really distracted. But if you would just pray in your mind and in your heart for Steve and Matthew Shepard and their time in Peru, as well as uh, when we uh, study the Scriptures today together in Revelation 5. So... Um, You pray, and I'll pray, and I'll do it out loud, and you do it in your head. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for Steve and Matthew, and thank you for this 
opportunity that Matthew has to go down with his dad for an entire month to be in Peru. And I pray, Lord, that you would just give them amazing experiences down there. Lord, that you would let him see need firsthand, um, not just physical, but spiritual, and that you would use him to plant seeds and maybe even, Lord, see the harvest, that he would see people um, come to Christ from another tribe, from another ethnic group uh, while he's down there. Thank you for um, the work that his dad has given his life to, um, that Steve has given his life to, and his wife, Christy. And Lord, we just pray pray that you would bless their ministry and bless their time while they're down there. Lord, as we turn to your scriptures in Revelation 5, I am um, acutely aware of my utter need for your spirit to be present in this room, that anything I say um, is really nothing without you. And so I pray that you would come now and move in my mouth and in my soul and in my spirit and let every word that I say be spirit given. And I pray for my friends here as they hear that um, they would would really listen to your word and be in tune with the spirit and, and Obey the leading of the Spirit as they, as they hear from the Word, Lord. Your Word is sufficient. It's all we need in order to drive us towards holiness and righteousness and convict us of sin and to remind us of the beauty of the gospel. And so we pray that it would come now and move in power. We thank you for your Word. Thank you for this time. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I... Uh, will not be going too long today. It's going to be a shorter sermon because we're going to have a video for about a 10-minute video or so of the mission trip that we took at the end of the sermon. So we're going to just be spending a little bit of time here in Revelation 5, and then we're going to go into that. Um, But what I want to kind of say as we're going into Revelation 5, you heard Brett read it, and one thing I want that you would be thinking about is this that we just read in Revelation 5, it seems so futuristic and so far off and so lofty and, and kind of away from us that we don't even think, maybe, uh, if you're like me, I just kind of read that like, wow, that seems crazy. But what I want you to think is, this is really going to happen. This particular day that John's writing about in this book here in Revelation 5, this day is going to happen. Not only that, it's not a fairy tale. It's not something kind of we're hoping for it's going to happen. Wishful thinking, as you and I believers are like, I really hope that happens. If you're in Christ... Think about this. You are going to be there this particular day. You're going to be part of the crowd that's listening to this and proclaiming out and singing with the myriads of myriads, singing out to Jesus that particular day. That's that's amazing thought. An absolute amazing thought that we are going to be there that day. This particular day awaits us in our future. Our king is going to be ruling and reigning visually in front of us on this particular day. And so what I want to do as we're looking at Revelation 5 saying, well, if that's the end (laughs) and that's the goal, that I will be there and King Jesus will be worshipped and everybody that's there, myriads and myriads of other believers will be there. If that's the end goal, what I want to do is out of Revelation 5, bring out five themes that help us see the means by which one day every single one of us will be there that day. So we're going to look at five themes or Really, these are means to, to bring us to that particular day in Revelation 5. So that's, that's the goal today um, as we're looking at Revelation 5. Now, at Remedy Church, um, we really just want to do two things here. Two things w- and, and do them really well. The two things are, number one, these won't be on the screen. I'm just saying them out loud. Number one, we want to make disciples. At Remedy Church, we believe from Matthew 28, the Great Commission, that God has called us to make disciples. Now, this is what that means. Um, a lot of times, especially if you're a Baptist, we're a Baptist church, if you're a Baptist, that just means see people, 
you know, sign the card, fill out a commitment form on Thursday night at youth camp because everybody got real emotional and see them ask Jesus in their heart. Um, and so what I want to say by what we want to do by making disciples is we want to see people get converted. We want to see people become followers of Christ. So we want unbelievers to become believers. We definitely want that. Um, we want it to be real, of course. But the first thing when we're talking about making disciples is we want to see people that are unbelievers become believers. But the second thing I mean by making disciples, and sometimes this is not thought of as making a disciple, but this is what it means to make a disciple, is for those that are Christians to grow in their faith, to become more Christ-like, to see themselves more sanctified or more Christ-like or more holy, killing sin and being more on mission. So we believe that if, as people come here, we want to make them a better disciple, not us, but the Holy Spirit, he uses us, that as they go through life, they are a deeper, richer follower of Jesus. That's what it means to make disciples. And so when people come, we want them to grow in their walk with Christ, but also when people come that aren't believers, become believers. That's the first thing that remedy we want to do. The second thing we want to do is plant churches. Um, we want to plant a lot of churches. We, we know statistics to show that the more churches that are planted in, in a city or in the country or internationally, the more people meet Jesus. And so we want to plant churches, but not just plant churches, but a specific kind of church. We want to plant churches that plant churches that plant churches. And I can keep going and I'm going to stop. But that's, that's the two things we want to do well. And that's it. We want to make disciples and plant churches. Now, before we get into Revelation 5, I want you to hear from Jesus some of the last things that he told us. Um, this comes from Acts chapter 1. And we, you all probably know Matthew 28, 19 and 20. If you don't, it's just it's the Great Commission where Jesus looks at them and all authority has been given to me to go make disciples, teaching them to obey everything I command, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's, that's kind of the Great Commission, telling us to, as you're going through life, make disciples. But right before the ascension, and then he spent some time with his disciples, and then right before the ascension, he's with them, and right before he's going to ascend, he tells them something else in Acts chapter 1. And this is what he says. Um, we'll pick up at verse, we'll start at 1. It says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that just means lover of God, Luke is writing to someone who loves God, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after, the Holy, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, to them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So after he resurrected from the dead, he was with the disciples before, for 40 days before he ascended. And then it says this in 4. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. So he wants them to stay right there in that city of Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father. John 14, John chapter 16, tell us that's the Holy Spirit. And then it says, which he said, you heard from me for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And he's, he's right. And this is Acts 1. Not, it's Acts 2. So one chapter later, which uh, must translate as many, not too many days from now. Verse 6, it says, that's a joke, by the way. Um, so when I'm not good at jokes, so I have to actually tell you. Verse 6. So when they came together, when, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you... Will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It's not for you to know the times or the seasons or the Father has fixed by his own authority. But, and here's again, it's this promise of the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So they're waiting in Jerusalem for that Holy Spirit power. They're waiting. Now, if you're in Christ, you don't have to wait anymore. You have it. All right. If you're a disciple, now this is, this is the, the directive he gives to those particular disciples at the time. He tells them, Wait for the Holy Spirit, 
when he's come upon you, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Which means for us, we are now in Christ. If you're in, if you're in Christ, you now have the Holy Spirit. And so we are commanded to be his witnesses in our Jerusalem, our Judea and Samaria and our ends of the earth. So we're commanded to be disciples in Rock Hill, South Carolina, United States to the ends of the earth. Now, this particular sermon that we're going to be talking about today is not going to focus on our Jerusalem. It's not going to focus on Rock Hill. I, I do that all the time. Today was not going to be that day particularly. Or really even our Samaria or Judea, not our South Carolina, United States. Today is going to focus on to our ends of the earth, particularly how to the ends of the earth, international missions works and looks here at Remedy Church. So... Um, that's the end that we're going to be looking at. Now, I'm going to be looking at Revelation 5, and usually it's an expository type feeling where we just go verse by verse, and I just exegete and try to tell you what, what the word's saying and let the Holy Spirit do His work. This is more just looking at chapter 5 as a whole, and we want to pull out five themes that are present in chapter 5 of Revelation, and those five themes are, are means by which we're going to accomplish that great end to where we're going to be standing there with people, singing out the praises to the Lord. So that's what we're going to be doing. And the first theme I want you to see is in chapter 5, verse 8. It says, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of of the saints, which are the prayers of the saints. So there's a there's a theme here of prayer. And this is the first theme I want you to grab onto and see um, when it comes to bringing about the gospel to the ends of the nations. There's a theme of prayer. Now, if you've been a Christian for any time, any time whatsoever, you know that this is true. Prayer is hard work. It, it's, it's difficult for almost anybody I talk to. That Most of the time people say to me, I have a really stinky prayer life, and I wish it was better. It doesn't go like I want. I very rarely find myself praying as often as I want for the things that I should. But here's the thing. We know this throughout the entire scriptures. The Lord has told us this. Ask. I want you to ask. I want you to ask. And so we know if we're supposed to take the gospel to the nations, and there's a theme of prayer in Revelation 5, what he wants from you and what he wants from me is that we would ask, beg, plead, petition that he would send us and that the nations would come to know him. We know, I mean, if you're, if you're a reform guy and you say the sovereignty of God is going to save whoever he's going to, that's true. And I'm well aware of that, but you can't erase the scriptures that say, but you still got to ask, you still got to keep asking. And the prayers that we, that we send out are the fuel by which accomplishes God's will. When he's sovereignly said, he's going to save the nations these prayers that we, that we pray are the fuel by which he does that. And so he's asked us to pray. And I, I think that we can all say, this is my experience. The more I'm praying, the more I'm thinking about mission, and the more I'm praying it, the more I notice that I have far more opportunities surrounding me to, pre- to preach the gospel to this person in front of me and far more opportunities to go to different places that I can never dream. If I'm not praying, I'm not even thinking about it. But the more I'm praying the more acutely aware I am of these opportunities that Jesus just puts right in front of my face. And so if you want to see these things, then you need to be a person that prays about this often. And I'm just going to say, um, rarely, sometimes, will you see the fruit of your prayers. But that doesn't mean you don't do it. We, we pray 
and we ask for things to happen. And sometimes people later on, even our children or our children's children, reap the prayers. They, they see the blessings of those prayers pour down in their generations. Rarely will we always see that. But it still means that we beseech a sovereign God and ask Him, plead with Him, um, beg Him to come and move mightily in our own life and how we're going to do international missions to the ends of the earth and this church. We need to constantly be praying for that. That's the first theme I want you to see. The second theme I want you to see comes from verse 6 and 12. And we're going to see Christ's suffering. See there here in 6. And it says, I, and <clears throat> Between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. It says it in 12 as well. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain. So we see here, there's mention here of the sufferings of Christ. And this, of course, is for us the gospel. This is the good news that Jesus came and died on the cross for sin, for us, on our behalf. And if we put our faith in him, then all of his righteousness, his perfect life that he lived, is then imputed, is the theological word, or counted, or given to us. And all of our sin had been put on him, and the penalty that was ours was now put on him. And we are now perfectly in Christ. We are 100% righteous forevermore. We know that we have sin still working itself out, like Romans 7, but we still... We, we know that we are in Christ, we are perfectly forgiven. This is, this is what the gospel is. But here in Revelation 5, we see a theme of suffering. We see a, a theme of suffering. And we know that for us to achieve that day where we're standing with Christ or, and with the rest of the followers singing out praises to Christ, that for some saints, some saints, there will be suffering. There will be a suffering for them to bring about the gospel to every end of the earth. Now, that's not necessarily everybody. We know this. If our master suffered, Jesus Christ himself suffered, how do we think his servants, which are us, are going to be treated? If the master suffered, what do we think will be the outcome for us? Now, not everybody will suffer, but in order to carry the gospel, to finish the task of bringing the gospel to all the ends of the earth, we know that people are going to die. Psalm one sixteen fifteen says, Precious in the sight, are the, are the deaths, are the martyrs of his saints. So we know that Christ counts precious those who actually lay down their life for him. But um, also, Philippians 1.29 says this. Philippians 1.29 says, um, It's been counted not only or granted to you, not only that you had faith, but also that you would suffer for his name. So we know that for some saints, it will be granted by God to them to suffer. Now, sometimes we think, well, that's not a very good gift. That's not what I want. Don't sign me up for the, for the suffering gift, Lord. I'd like something else, like a, a wife, you know, or something like that. I want that gift. Um, actually, the Bible says, and this is just a random thing, in 1 Corinthians 7, some of you are given the gift of singleness. It actually calls that a gift. If you think it's not, it's there. Um, but anyway, um, Philippians 129 tells us that some people will be granted to suffer. And that doesn't seem like much of a gift to say suffering in order to bring the gospel to the rest of the nations. That's not really something I want to be granted to me, but I want you to hear this. This is, this is absolutely true. Loving God through pain, loving God through suffering, loving God through putting on display to the nations your suffering, um, it shows the rest of the world, not just here, but the rest of the world, that Jesus Christ is the most precious reality to you in the world. And it draws them in to wanting to know Christ. He uses your afflictions to bring in people into the kingdom. 
There's just no question about that. This is what the end of Colossians tells us when we're talking about we're filling up what is lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Jesus Christ is not going to come suffer anymore. And so our suffering is filling up what's lacking. That personal presentation of suffering for them, when they see that, it sparks in them a gospel understanding that Christ has suffered for them and they come to Christ. And so for some of us, it will be that we have to suffer for the name. And just as a bit of encouragement for if this is the future for some of us, there are just some things about God we will not know. Some precious intricacies, some beautiful things about the person and work and the character, the character of God that some people just won't know, that many of us won't know, but those who suffer know. And that's, that's an encouraging thing to, to hear. For those of us that might have that in our future, you just know God in a, in a more deep, intimate way when you've experienced being one of his children who has to suffer for him to finish the task, to bring about this beautiful day of Revelation chapter 5. So the third, that's the second suffering, a theme of prayer, a theme of suffering. The next theme I want you to see is the finality of Christ. The finality of Christ It's right there in verse 5 and 4 and 5. And what I want to do, I'm going to read it and I want this unbelievable truth of verse 4 and 5 to just kind of allow, I want you to let the Holy Spirit kind of shake your heart, crack open some of the, the cobwebs and, and stone, and let the beautiful thing of this truth drive down deep into your affections and think about what he's saying in verses 4 and 5. It, it may have hit you a thousand times. Let's make it a thousand one. Look at this in verse 4 and 5. This is John. He said, I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or look into it. Why is it so important that a scroll gets open that a man would stand there and weep? The scroll's not open. Why would that happen? That seems kind of crazy, right? Because without the scroll being open, salvation has not been ushered into all mankind. And John wants, the, the one who's worthy to open the scroll is the one who's worthy to give salvation to everyone. And he's weeping, weeping. No one's worthy to open the scroll or look into it. And it, one of the elders said to me, great words. This elder looks at him and he says, weep no more. Behold. And he points to the lamb. And he says, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David, here it is, has conquered. He has conquered so that he can open the scrolls and its seven seals. So this finality of Christ, this, this text here where it says, weep no more, the lion of David has conquered. I think that we all need to just feel the sweeping magnitude of these words. Weep no more, the lion has conquered. It must be allowed to be felt to us in the deep part of the depth part the deepest part of our souls, because the truth is, it's final. Christ and Christ alone has won. It isn't that he's going to. He has won. He has conquered. Now, you've heard that a thousand times if you're in Christ, maybe. But just take a second and think about this. Every sin of every person forever, every tribe and every tongue, every man, promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, the very first gospel, it has now come true in Christ and he has conquered Satan, sin, and death and defeated them completely. And you and I, if we're in Christ, absolutely have been saved. Jesus Christ has won. The finality of Christ. And further, I just want to add to you that no one else could do it. 
there was no one else that was worthy to do it. It wasn't like, well, oh, thank goodness Jesus is here. Bob's kind of out today, and we'll just let Jesus go do it because, you know, the other guy who could have... No one else could have done it besides Christ. He is the only one that could have done it. And he, out of his mercy came forward and saved us. He is the one who's worthy. And so as we talk about the finality of Christ, it's not just that he is one and that he has conquered. It's also that he is the absolute only one. Acts 4.12, there is no other name given under heaven by which man can be saved. Only in Christ can we be saved. And he, in his mercy, did it. He came and saved. And so here we see this finality of, of Christ. So we've seen a theme of prayer that brings about this great day. We've seen a theme of suffering of which we know that there will be suffering for those who are in Christ. And we see this finality of Christ that he is the only one who can conquer. And the next theme I want you to see is in verse nine. Look at verse nine for me. It says, and they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain by your blood and ransomed. Here it is. This is the, the words I want you to catch right here. A people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The fourth theme I want you to see from this is the theme of all peoples, every tribe, every language, every peoples, and every nation. Matthew twenty four fourteen says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, and then the end will come. This nations in Matthew 24, and what we're talking about here is ethne. That's the Greek word. It just means ethnic groups, people groups. It doesn't mean necessarily nations like, you know, there's 170-something or 80-something countries in the world now. It means ethne, ethnic groups. There's like 16,000 ethnic groups. And we know he's telling us that this gospel is going to go to every single people group, every single ethnic group that's ever been. 16,000 plus will be there in heaven. So... When it's talking about here in, in Revelation 5, 9, for you have ransomed a people for God from every tribe, every language, every people, and every nation. The fourth thing that we need to realize is, as believers, every single one of us are called not just to people that look just like us and speak our same language. We are called to every single ethnic tribe. Now, it doesn't mean that you're actually going to visit all 16,000, okay? That's not what I'm saying at all. You're not going to go to every country in the world. However... You, you can do some things. You can pick a people group. Like a, our family picks that particular people group. We're going to do everything we can, send money, send prayer, find out the missionaries, and maybe even one day we'll go. I mean, maybe that's, that's the way the Lord would lead you. I don't know. But we do know that there will be a representation in heaven of every tribe, tongue, and nation in heaven. And so we pray to that end. We evangelize to that end. We suffer to that end. We don't just go to the easy places, but we also go to the hard places in the 1040 window. We go everywhere that God calls us as believers, as a church, because he receives glory when he receives admirers, when he receives worshipers from every tribe, tongue, and ethne around the world. And that's what we're about is the glory of God. We're going to get to that in the last one. But um, what does this do? When we think about this fourth theme of all peoples, what does this do for us? When we, when we realize if this is the case, when we're talking about international missions, God's calling me to preach the gospel to the nations. And it doesn't mean that I'll go to everywhere. I'm going to trust his sovereignty. I can't go everywhere. I'm only one guy and I only live for 70, 80 years. Um, maybe more. Who knows? But what does it mean? It means this. It shows for us God's love for the nations. That's the first thing, is it shows us God's love for the nations. And so if we see that God loves the nations, we should as well. 
we should want to strive for as much ethnic diversity as we can, not just in our church, but in our evangelism and our gospel presentations to every single person in our city, in our state, in our country, and to the ends of the earth. That's the first thing. The second thing that this does, realizing that God, there's a theme out of Revelation 5 that he wants every tribe, language, and people and nation to be saved. This is what it does. It destroys any racial pride you have. It destroys, it's insane to have any pride in your race. Because no one, no race is better than the other. The only thing that you're, the only citizenship that matters is your citizenship in heaven. If you're in Christ and that somebody else is a different race and they're a brother and sister in Christ, that's, that's what matters. And so heaven Praise God is not predominantly white people. They probably won't even speak English there. And so if we don't find ourselves laying down our our preferences for things and laying down our lives for people that don't look like us, then we've misunderstood the gospel. We've misunderstood the gospel. That's exactly what Jesus Christ has done for us in the gospel. He laid down his own preferences and his life for people that were not like him so that they could know God. That the gospel transforms the way you think about mission. You don't just do it to the easy people that look just like you and have your same preferences. We go to all peoples. Wherever he's calling, you're obedient. So that's what this fourth theme does. Now, I want to submit to you that if we take that theme of the finality of Christ, that he alone is worthy and he's the only one that can do it, and we we take the theme of all peoples and we put those together... Then we get this last theme, which is really the last half of Revelation 5, which is the theme of worship. And so all of these themes kind of are the means by which we, we go. And, and of course, Revelation, uh, I'm sorry, this theme 5, worship, is not only a theme by which we live here now to bring that about, but it is an end as well. It's a worship end. That's, what, that's one of the things we're doing. Let me read it to you. And just, just picture this. You're going to be there that day with other people. And you're going to be singing. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. And you have made a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the, the voice of many angels, mirroring myriads and myriads and thousands upon thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and Worship. They proskuneoed. They fell down on their face and just worshiped Christ. We will be there that particular day if you're in Christ when this happens. This is amazing. So all of Revelation 5 is about worship. So I want you to keep this theme distinctly on your mind as we go to the nations. This is, this, we're not looking for something. We're not looking for mere converts. We're not looking for decisions. We're looking for worshipers. We're looking for people that when they see Revelation 5, they say, yes and amen. Christ has come and died for me and given me a new life that I can have by faith. I want to be with all the other people standing there in Revelation 5. I want to be a worshiper on that particular day and singing out the praises to Christ. Now, here's the thing. If this is the case 
and we know that you only get one life, I only get one life. When I'm standing there singing out these praises with thousands upon thousands of people, I want the people that are standing there to have been affected by my ministry. Not for my glory, but for Jesus. But I don't want to be standing there with all these people and they're singing out and I'm thinking, there's so many people that could be here if I had just said something whenever I was there. This idea of worship and this idea of people being represented from every tribe, tongue, and nation gives me the desire, the encouragement, the, the, the will to say, if that's the case, and I'm trying to draw worshipers in, I want that I've done everything I can for, to tell everybody I can so that when we're standing there, I can look around, not for my own glory, but all for the glory of Christ, for His name and His renown, to know that there are people there because Christ used me by the power of the Spirit to, teach, to preach the gospel, to tell them the gospel, and there they are. I think every single one of us wants that. We don't want the glory for it. We just don't want them to suffer the consequences of their sin. We want them to know Christ. And we want that if they're there singing with us that day, we just give Christ the glory. Praise you, God, that you used me, that other people are here because of me. How beautiful is that? And so we're not after converts or decisions. We're after worshipers. Worshipers that will become worshipers now, and they will be there that particular day then. The whole point of human history us in this room this church your life my life is about worshiping god and it's about bringing more worshipers to god that's what life is about worshiping him and when i say worship i don't just mean like bring here so that ben can put on the guitar and he can play and then we can stand in this room and and sing that that's worship but that's not just worship i mean there's so much more to worship is after this one hour, there's still 168 hours in the week that we go and we worship. We worship by loving our spouse well, by telling our kids the gospel, by killing sin in our life by the power of the Spirit, by evangelizing our neighbors and going to the nations. That's all worship. It's a lifestyle of worship. And that's what we're asking. And that's what Christ wants. The whole point is that we would be present on this particular day, that we would worship well throughout our lives, and that we will all sing out on this particular day with all the people that Christ has allowed us to preach the gospel and they've come to Christ, where we would sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. We want to be there that day with people that are worshipers, that Christ has used us. Now, I've got just a little bit more. I'm just going to throw out some uh, things that I want you to pray about, things I want you to think about, and then I'm going to plead with you, and then I'm done. That's it, all right? So here's some things, I think some, some applications maybe that you can pray about and you can think about. The first thing is that you would consider in your life going on a trip. Whether it's two weeks, two months, two years, or for the rest of your life. That you would, and and I don't just mean this. Yeah, okay. Then right now, Lord, if you want me to go, just, you know, bring down some kind of sign from the sky and let it fall down that it says, yes, Fud, you're supposed to go to Afghanistan, God. You know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying, really, like, spend some time, weeks, months. Because the truth is, if if he tells us, all of you who are my disciples, go to Jerusalem and, and Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. It's not like, am I called? Yes, you're called. You're already called. You don't have to ask God if you're called. So really ask God, where is it that you want me to go? How is it that you want me to be on mission to the, to the nations? Is it, is it just for a little bit? Is it, is it for a long stay? Or is it, I'm going to take my family and we're going to trust your sovereignty, Lord, and we're going we're to go somewhere. And we're going we're to live there forever. 
and train indigenous people to grow up to be, and make disciples and see them plant churches. That's the first thing I want you to pray about. And, but really pray about. Don't just say, Lord, I'll do it if, you know, if somebody comes up and says that they're, you know, whatever. So the second thing I want you to pray about is this. What could your money, your financial budgeting look like if you really believe this? Would you fund a missionary? Is there a missionary that you know that works for SAM, SIM, International Mission? I don't know, whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of mission agencies. And if you're in a, in a position to be able to do that, maybe the Lord has financially said, I want you to fund forever a missionary who's going to go for, and, and live overseas. Or fund someone who's going to go on a, a short-term mission trip or a two-year mission trip. Or maybe the Lord's saying, for Christmas this year, six months from now, you can totally plan this. Our Christmas budget, we're going to cut it in half and we're going to give half of it to missions and have a smaller Christmas this year. I mean, I don't know what it is, but I would say really think and pray about what that would be. Really pray, what is the Lord leading you in your finances? This is where it gets real. You know, you can say you follow God and we look at your checkbook and we know. Where is the Lord leading you to really say, if I can't go on a trip, I am going to really, really support somebody. And, and, and all these different particular ways you can do. Of course, um, pray. Often you can go to joshuaproject.net and you can pray every single day for an unreached people group. Um, you should lead your family in that. I mean, there's all kinds of things about praying. Get a missionary card. Find a mission. I mean, just call any mission agency and say, send me a card of any one of your missionaries. Put the refrigerator sticker right there on your fridge. And every time you get food, you can pray for them. Uh, whatever it's called, magnet. Um, and the last thing I want you to think about, and this is something that maybe we don't think about. Um, another thing that I, I really want you to think about and pray about. For those of you that are parents, I want you to think about how you can actively involve your children in missions. How can you actively involve your children in missions? At really young ages, teaching them to pray for missionaries, pulling out the, the map and saying, here we are, look at all these other countries. There's a whole lot more than just us. But, even at young ages, consider maybe taking them. Or as they get into their 20s, as they get into their 20s, parents, some of you are going to have to say, God, I'm scared to death to think that my child at 20 or 23 is ready to go overseas forever. But they're yours. I'm giving them to you. And I'm just trusting you that you're going to take care of my babies. That they're yours. And if you want to call them to the ends of the earth, and I don't get to see them but once every year or two years, your gospel is more important than my preference to see grandchildren. They're yours. And maybe some of you are going to be able to say, yes. This isn't something we think about very often. But this could be what God's calling you to say. If you can't go, you're willing to say, yes, my children can go. Those are some things to pray about. Now, I'm going to plead with you my final appeal. I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, I'm 37 years old. And I don't look like it, but I'm actually 37 years old. I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to waste it. Um, I've just come to the place in my life now where my mortality is much more real in my life. My body's falling apart. I'm getting gray hair. My kids are getting older. Um, I'm realizing much more in a real sense just how reliant I am upon, upon the grace of God. And my mortality is just in a much more real sense than it was whenever I was in my 20s or teens when I was just a moron. And I'm still a moron now, but... In a much more sense, I'm realizing my mortality is, is much sooner than I thought. I only have 40, 50 more years of my life, and that's it. 
And I don't want at the end of my life to look back and say, oh, I wish I would have been more consistent there. I wish that I had that idea and I could have done a little bit. I'm just, I don't want that in my life. I don't want to waste it. I don't want to be half-hearted about missions, half-hearted about church planning, half-hearted about loving my wife, half-hearted about teaching my kids, half-hearted about anything when it comes to Christ and His gospel. And I'm thinking that if you're in Christ, you feel the same way. There are billions of people, close to three to four billion people on this earth that don't know Jesus. We are very fortunate not only to live in this country, but to be born in 2012 or whatever you were born in, 70s, 80s, whatever. Very fortunate to be born in this particular time where the gospel is just saturated in this area. God and sovereignty could have put you in um, Iraq in 1200s and you would not be a Christian more than likely. And so because there are billions and we know that our mortality is ever present in front of us. I want Remedy and you and I want me to play our part well in taking the gospel to all the nations that he calls us to. He's going to call us to some nations and not to some others. But I want all of us to be radically obedient and on fire and not waste it and do everything we can to live out our um, task that he's given us. I'm tired. I'm just tired of having and hearing reasons why people don't pray more. Tired of hearing reasons why people don't send more or spend more on missions um, or go more. And I think that this, for me at least, and maybe for you, is a marked line in the sand. I mean, this is the day that I'm deciding. And I'm going to say, all of us, let's just say today is the day where we're going to say for the next 30, 40, 50 years, you're never too, if you're in your 60s or 70s and you're retired, you can still say, I'm going now for the rest of my life. Whatever the Lord is leading, I want all of us to say, I want to make much of the name of Jesus. This is my line in the sand. I'm not going to waste my life. I'm going to play my part well in taking the gospel to every single nation that he allows me to do. That every door that's opened, I'm going to be obedient to really pursuing Christ and wanting to know what's my part in that. It's not am I called, but what's my part in that particular nation that seems to be wide open doors for me right now? Because at the end, none of us want to waste our life. None of us. Now, if that's the case, then we can um, proudly, and we will be proud that day in Christ, and it'll be for His glory, sing out on Revelation 5, verse 13, when we're standing there. And all of us will be there if you're in Christ. We're all going to be there. We might not be standing around each other. We might not be saying it in English. But we're going to be singing this. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. That's the day we're looking forward to. And there are things that bring that about. Prayer, suffering, believing in the finality of Christ, knowing that there is... Um, a task set before us that all nations, every tribe and tongue must hear the gospel and that we as worshipers of Christ are going to worship well now so that we can go and see more worshipers come to know Christ. We're not going to waste our life. We're going to resolve in our mind that today and every day that I draw breath in these lungs, I'm going to be about the gospel going forth to the nations. I'm going to pray and then we're going to continue on in our worship service. And this after I pray, we're going to go into a video. This is our trip that we took in March, and this is just kind of some highlights of this uh, trip that we took in March. And then I'll come back up and talk about what would be the view or the task or the way we want to do missions here at Remedy. 
and then turn it over to Ben. He'll give us some specifics on the trip that we have. Um, let's pray. Lord, it's a huge task, and I praise you <laughs> that your spirit is already and has been accomplishing this task all the way from 2,000 years ago till now. You are the missionary who has the sovereign plan, and we are the people that get to come and join. And I just pray for all of us as we are more and more aware of this task that's set before us, that you have called us to, that we would be obedient to it. We would just be obedient. That we would realize that we have a short time here and that you're calling us to the greatest task in the world, to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And you've given us opportunities. And you will continually give us opportunities. And so I pray for all of us, Lord, that as those come, that we would be radically obedient to the leading of the Spirit. And however He leads, that we would say yes and amen, that we want to go. I pray for all of my friends here, that if your Holy Spirit is coming now, prodding, pointing, convicting, but always as it convicts, comforting, that they would be obedient to the Spirit's leading and say, yes, today really is for me. It is that line in the sand day. I'm not going to let any more days pass where I'm not following with every single fiber of my being by the power of the Spirit this call on my life to take the gospel to the nations. I can't not do it. I must do it. The need is too great and my time is too short. And when I get to heaven, there will be nobody that I can evangelize. The only chance I have for that is here. And so I want to see worshipers in heaven that you've let me see come to know Christ. Use me, Lord. Use us. Use this church to further the kingdom. Not for our glory at all. Not at all. For Remedy's name. Remedy means nothing. Jesus is everything. It's all for His glory and all for His name. Would you bring it about? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.